Um, good morning. Good morning. It was a pleasure to worship with you. Um, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke 11. Um, today we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. This is the, a, a, you know, you'll know the Lord's Prayer. It's a little different than the one that you may have memorized in Matthew. Um, this one in Luke 11 is a little shorter. One of the reasons I like this passage is uh, in addition to the prayer, it has two other parts to it that help us to grow in our, our prayer life. One is a parable and the other is a promise. There's the prayer and then there's a parable and the promise and Jesus teaches us how to pray in um, other ways. So I hope with this prayer, this parable, this promise, we'll be able to grow in our confidence and our boldness in our prayer life. Uh, one of the reasons I was drawn to this passage is I, as I, I studied prayer and, and Jesus' ministry, one of the things you find is that in the most critical times, Jesus can be found in prayer. Um, kind of uh, spends a lot of time in prayer. Uh, it's convicting on me personally, but if you think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was an intensity to his prayer. He was praying hard, and, and really it was the most important thing that he was doing at that time. Now, if, if, if one was to face, knowing what Jesus had to face on the cross, he could have been concerned about pain, shame, suffering, a lot of other things, but he was prioritizing that time with him. If, if it was me, I, I would may rationalize that there was more important things for me to do. It may be more important for me to, to rest. It may be uh, more important for me to do some other thing besides prayer. But for Jesus, he made it the most important thing. He prioritized it. In some ways, it's kind of like Jesus flipped the script in the way I view prayer. Uh, if, if, um, if you were going to go into battle, for Jesus going into battle, prayer would be the battle. And the, the rest would be, uh, going into battle would be the easier part compared to going into battle. Um, Hayden Robinson, a famous preacher, said it this way. He said, for Jesus, prayer was like running a marathon and ministry was like going to receive the medal. He said, prayer was like taking the final exam and ministry was like going to receive the diploma. For Jesus, prayer was the work and ministry was the reward for that work. Um, when you think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat drops of blood when he was praying, not when he was standing before Pontius Pilate, not when he was nailed to the cross, when he was praying, that's when he uh, sweat drops of blood. So prayer was a powerful and essential part of his ministry. So let's look at this passage, um, Luke 11, the first four verses, verses one through four. And it happened while Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who's indebted to us and do not lead us into temptation. So this is kind of an interesting part in the gospel in that this is the only time we have recorded that the disciples asked Jesus to be taught something. Uh, and it's kind of interesting that they asked about prayer. Uh, he, they did, if, if I was in their shoes, I'd have been saying, teach us how to raise people from the dead. You know, how'd you walk on water? Why did you heal this person this way and not the other? Um, but they really wanted to know how to pray. And a key of understanding why they did this is found in verse one, when they say, we want to pray like John did 
for his disciples. What they were really looking for was a way to identify themselves as disciples of Jesus Christ. They were looking for a routine and a repeatable prayer that was for the disciples. So in this time, they would have prayed twice a day, and they would have had a a routine, repeatable prayer that they would have said. But Jesus, instead of just giving them kind of a, a, a root prayer, he gave them a lot more. If you look at this prayer, he gives us an expansive understanding of who God the Father is. He didn't give them some magical words to say, but he gave them a really a better understanding of that. And what we can learn from this is the better we understand God, the better we understand his characteristics, and the better we understand his priorities, the better our prayer life, the easier our prayer life will become. When we pray, it changes our priorities. It changes us. It changes our priorities. It changes our outlook. And the more you can understand God's plan, the more your need and his will can align. The way, the more you can line up with with what he says. So how does it change us? How does prayer change our priorities? How does it change us? I think the the key word in verse two is the first word of the prayer, and it's it's Father. It doesn't seem shocking to us because we know this prayer. We know what's coming. But for the disciples, when he said the word Father, that would have been fairly revolutionary. That would have been a, a, a pretty strong word to use to call Father. Because in the Jewish mindset, they, they wouldn't even use the word Yahweh. They'd come up with another word. They used Adonai or some other word to do that. But Jesus tells them not to even call him God, but to call him Father. Um, the Jewish people would have, been, would have revered God, and they would remember the God of Exodus 33, the God where you had to hide from him behind a rock so that his, his presence wouldn't kill you. Um, and they didn't have direct access to God the way a father would. They had to go through an intermediary. They had to go through a priest. They had to sacrifice. They had to do a lot of things. And Jesus is turning that relationship around. And he's telling them, you have direct access to God through prayer. In Romans 8, 34, it says Jesus is the one who died. He was raised, and he sits on the right hand of of God, and he intercedes for us. So Jesus is interceding on our behalf. And what he's telling us is that we have direct access to God. The other way that prayer changes us is that it, it changes our priorities. The more that we understand his kingdom, he tells the disciples to, to seek the kingdom, to seek his kingdom. And when the disciples heard kingdom, they were probably not thinking of what we know as the kingdom. They were thinking of that Jesus was going to go set up an earthly kingdom, like David's kingdom. And in the same way, our prayers can be self-absorbed if we don't really understand and pray to understand what God's kingdom is. What does he want to fulfill in our life, and how can we be a part of what God is doing? Jesus tells them to remember the kingdom, to remember the bigger picture, and it forces us to remember the kingdom. Uh, Another famous preacher, Andrew Murray, says it this way. He says, when you pray, first it's your name, your kingdom, your will, then give us, then forgive us, then lead us, then deliver us. It's true worship starts with the Father, and it has to start with the Father to be first. Um, When you start thinking about the kingdom, when you pray, when you start thinking about how can I be involved involved in what God is doing around me, it's a big shift in your prayer life. For me personally, my prayers can tend to be kind of a wish list or a to-do list, but it's not about, uh, I'm not thinking about what is God trying to accomplish 
and he's doing. But when you do that, when you start praying for God to reveal his will to you, you are really joining him in what he's trying to accomplish in that specific day. How, what do you want to accomplish in this world? And it shifts us from kind of a limited perspective to a perspective of what does God want to accomplish in their life. For me personally, it's, it's affected how I pray for my lost friends. Sometimes it seems overwhelming to, to pray for someone because you don't ever think that they'll come to know Christ. But if you pray for God to open your eyes, you may be able to see other ways to share with them. And more importantly for me, I started praying for other people that are in my lost friend's life that are also a part of that. And how can you be a part of what God's doing around there? So Jesus starts with who we're praying for. Who we're praying for, we're praying to God, we're praying for his kingdom. Then he shifts into what we're supposed to pray for. So he he tells us to pray for three things, for bread, for forgiveness, for deliverance. And these are all very practical things. The first thing is bread is, is for our physical needs. And Jesus was concerned with our daily provisions. He was concerned with the poor people that were following him, their daily provisions. Now, it's interesting that he says daily bread. He didn't tell us to pray for weekly bread or monthly bread. He told us to pray for daily bread, for sustenance for that day. And every day we're supposed to come back and pray for more. It kind of reminds us of that manna from heaven that we learned in Exodus when the Israelites were, were in Egypt out in the desert and every day God provided just enough manna for them. And if they tried to keep it and put it in a jar, it would spoil. And they couldn't keep it. It had to be every day. It was just provisions for every day. And in the same way, we need daily prayer. The second thing he tells us to pray for is for forgiveness. Just like he's concerned with our physical well-being, in the same way he's concerned about our spiritual well-being. Um, if you think about every day we eat, and if we didn't eat, you would probably know it from kind of, for me personally, with my attitude. But if I didn't pray every day, I might be able to fake that. I might be able to get by. But what Jesus is saying, just like your stomach needs food, your soul needs prayer. You need to have spiritual forgiveness when we're going through that. And that's one of the great things about praying when we eat, because it reminds us that just like we need physical sustenance, we also need spiritual sustenance. And Jesus is linking those two together. Every day we need to pray for forgiveness. And then the third thing he tells us to pray for is deliverance from temptation. We know that temptation in and of itself is not a sin because Jesus was tempted. Satan tempted Jesus, but he didn't give in to temptation and he didn't uh, sin. But God helped him to avoid that temptation. There's, there's an old hymn that I love. It's, it's uh, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And the reason I love it is that we're, we're supposed to ex- expect temptation. Temptation is something that is going to come our way. It's something that we need to be prepared for. And we need to kind of acknowledge our weak nature, that we can't do it on our own, but we really need God to protect us from this temptation. And we need to know that temptation's always near. Um, As we know, we don't live in a neutral world. There's always things that are pulling at us. Um, I was reminded of this uh, uh, last summer. We went on a vacation back to where I grew up in Missouri. We went to the Lake of the Ozarks. And there's great, wonderful lakes out there. And uh, we, we rented a pontoon boat. My kids had never been on one. And I frankly hadn't driven boats that much. So we were out there and we found like, uh, you know, there's still a lot of currents even on a lake. And we found an inlet and we were, were sitting there. Uh, the kids were swimming, we were cooking. And, 
just kind of got focused on our little world and wasn't aware of our surroundings. And all of a sudden we look up and we're, we're drifting toward the shore. Even though we thought we were in a calm part of the lake, it's still in those places there was things that were pushing against us. And you'll recognize this if you've ever driven a boat or, or been on a river. Um, the water's always pushing you. There's always water pushing you in different ways, trying to take you where you don't want to go. And if you're paying, not paying attention, it will. And it's the same in our spiritual life. We don't live in a neutral world. We live in a place that's always going to be pushing us against us. And there's no neutral. We got to be going. And that's what Jesus is reminding us in this prayer is that we have to be expecting temptation and asking God to deliver us from that temptation. So when we look at this, this prayer, what Jesus tells the disciples and what he tells us is that when we pray, we should honor God. We should focus on his kingdom. We should focus on our spiritual well-being, physical forgiveness, protection from evil. Uh, one of the neat things about these three things, bread, forgiveness, and, and deliverance, is that when you think about bread, he takes care of our current needs. What do we need for that day? And then forgiveness takes care of the past. He doesn't want the past to hold us back, so he takes care of our past sins and provides forgiveness for those. And then deliverance from temptation is the future. He wants to go ahead of us in the path that we're going and deliver us from the pitfalls that will come. But when we do that, we have to pray daily. And it's that it's that manna idea. It's he provides just enough. He won't provide less or more, but he'll provide just enough for what we need for the day ahead. So that's the prayer. That's the prayer that he tells the disciples. That's who he tells us to pray for. Next, he tells us what to, he tells us what to pray for. Next, he tells us how to pray with this parable that he tells us how to pray. It's the parable about the neighbor. Luke eleven verse five. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and he goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves because a friend of mine has come from a journey and I have nothing to serve him. And from inside he answers and he says, do not bother me. The door's already shut and my children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Yet I tell you, even if he will not get up and give him anything just because he's his friend, yet because of his shamelessness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. This is kind of an unusual passage. This isn't something that would probably come up in our day, of a, day and age. But if we kind of think back to how the Middle East was structured in that time, how the disciples would have really heard this, this passage. When the disciples heard this, this story, one of the things they would have understand was just the general hospitality, the requirement of hospitality in the Middle East. So if somebody came to your door, even if it was at an inconvenient time, you were supposed to take care of that person. Um, you were supposed to provide him a place to sleep, provide him food. And this, this, this person was, was caught unaware, and he had to go and find it. He had to go and get that food. It was an imperative to him for good to go get it. The other thing that the disciples would have, would have kind of known would have been how a Galilean house was set up. Uh, it would have been a, usually a one-room house. They all would have slept in that room. Sometimes it would have had a second story so they could go and sleep upstairs at night because it was, a, it was a hot place. And because it was hot, one of the things the disciples would have, would have known was that you baked your bread outside. You didn't have ovens in the house because it was too hot. You would have probably had several houses would have shared one oven where they were baking their bread. So this person that was going to the house, he knew which bread had house 
which house had bread. Um, he wouldn't have gone to just any random house. He would have went to the house that had bread. And it kind of reminds us, when we face difficulties, do we go to the place that has bread? Do we go to the place that has answers? Or do we go somewhere that may actually take us further away from the direction we need to go? Um, my wife and I have four kids, and our oldest daughter is a junior in high school. And we were going around at the beginning of the year to all of their teachers, to these, these open houses. And we were at her math teacher's class. And it came to the point where parents could ask the math teacher questions. And one parent raised her hand and said, if my child has problems completing their homework, where do you suggest go, they go? What, what resources, where should they go? Um, and I was expecting them to say the textbook, um, something you know, like a workbook or maybe a, a website. Uh, to go to, but he said, he told him, tell your kids to go to YouTube to find the answer. Um, which, I, in defense of YouTube, they do have some amazing stuff on math of how to solve math problems. But as a parent, if my child comes to me and asks for help on a test or on their homework, and I tell them to go to YouTube, they'll never come back. They're never going to come back to their homework. They're going to get lost in this world of YouTube. Um, it, kind of seems like a disaster to send them to YouTube. Um, but in the same way, do we go to the source? Do we go to the place that can give us answers? Or do we take us to somewhere that can take us further away from that truth? Um, I think the main point of this parable, what the disciple, what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples, is that we're supposed to pray with persistence. This knocker, his, his one trait is that he is persistent. He was going to get that bread no matter what. And we have to pray like our reputation's on the line. This guy's reputation was on the line. Um, and there's something to be said for persistence. Uh, one of the things that I love to do is I love to go on hikes. Southern California is a wonderful place. There's great mountains all around us. Um, and this past year, one of my goals was to hike Mount Whitney, which is the highest mountain in the lower 48 states. It's just over 14,500 feet. And it's a challenge to hike the mountain, but it's also a challenge just to get a permit to, to hike the mountain. You have to enter into a lottery. And, um, and so I entered into the lottery to try to get it. And you have to enter in dates when you want to go. And one of the things I wasn't anticipating when I entered it was how much rain we were going to have last year. So we had a ton of, there was a ton of snow on Whitney. And uh, I, my date came back, I actually got it, but it was, it was late July. And late July, there was still snow where there wasn't supposed to be snow um, up on Whitney. And typically, the way you go up, you go up this section called the 99 switchbacks, which is just a, a zigzagged way up the mountain. But that was all snowed in, so you had to go up a, another way called the chute, which is short for a very steep mountain um, that you have to go up. So it was... Uh, it was more than we were expecting. We weren't used to hiking in the snow. I, had, I was going with a couple other friends. Um, it was funny because I actually had to order an ice axe. And my wife kind of had, we have this understanding that she doesn't really want to know the dumb things that I do in my life. Um, but when the ice axe showed up, and I, I, she, I think she may have got it out before I opened it, and she was like, what are you doing? Why do you need an ice axe? Um, so anyway... Uh, we, we, were, we did our research, we looked on YouTube, um, a, lot of, a lot of ways to do it, and we thought we could pull this off. So we took all the precautions that we could. One of the things is we left super early. We left at like one in the morning to try to get up there, because when we got to this snowy section, we wanted it to be icy, because that's easier to climb on. 
Um, so we, we get there, we're going up. I'm, it's, it's a lot harder than I anticipated. It's probably a mile up. And it was one of those things where you had to have three points of contact, or at least I did to feel safe. Like if I moved my feet, I needed both of my hands up there. Um, so it was, I spent about an hour getting to the top of this section and I was completely exhausted. Like it was one of the hardest things I'd done just getting up that section. And I was, I was six feet from the top. I was right at the top and I was talking to my friend. And because I started talking to my friend, I took my, my focus off my feet and just slip, slip, bam, I was falling down that mountain. Uh, it was very steep and I lost my ice axe. I lost a trekking pole. Finally, I got into this section that was like a, a half pipe kind of, and I was able to stop myself. I mean, by the skin of my teeth, I was just barely hanging on. And it's interesting what comes into your mind at those times. The first thing that came into my mind was that there was no way I was getting to the top um, because I had spent all my energy just getting to that point. And then when I fell, I was just completely wiped out. Um, but, and so I sat there a little while just kind of feeling sorry for myself. Uh, but I still had one trekking pole, so I, I got it out and I turned it into a spike and I stuck it in the ground or in the snow and I, I slowly inched my, my, my way back up and, found, and got to the other trekking pole. And eventually I did get to the top and, and miraculously all four of us got to the top of Mount Whitney that day. Um, and it was, it, was, it was pretty amazing. And I know this is a silly story, a silly illustration, but I think it does tell us what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples, that hard times are going to come. We, we should expect hard times to come. And this parable is telling us to be persistent. Sometimes you don't think you can go any further than where you're at, but you can. You can go further um, because we do have access to a power source. We have access to this God that created the universe. And you're stronger than you know you are when you face these hard times, when you face these temptations that Jesus tells us are going to come. Uh, a favorite verse about prayer of mine is, is Hebrews 4.16. It tells us, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence that we can receive mercy and find grace for help in our time of need. We're supposed to enter into our prayers with confidence. And what God is reminding us in this parable is that we should pray with persistence. We should pray like we know there's bread in the house, like we know that there's an answer for our prayer um, when we pray to God, and not to give up, not to give up. That's one of the main points. So as we continue in this passage, Luke 11, verses 9 through 13, this is the promise. And Jesus said, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. Now, which one of you fathers will his son ask for a fish? And instead of a fish, will give him a snake. Or will even ask for an egg, and his father will give him a scorpion. So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who asked? So in this, in this section, Jesus continues to tell them to be persistent. He tells them to keep pers to, to, that persistent prayer leads to answers. If we're persistent, God will answer our prayers. He tells us to ask, to seek, to knock, and it will be given, found, and opened. When he tells us to ask, he's telling us to come with him with, with a specific request. We're supposed to ask God for specific things. And he compares God to an earthly father. 
it's, it's James 4.2 says it like this. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. When we pray, we should pray expecting God to answer. Just like we know that there's bread in that house, we should pray expecting. And when he says the word seek, the word seek really means to pursue it. Um, there's a continual part of that to, to pursue it. Um, we, we ask, how can I be a part of answering this prayer? What's my part in this? Um, I was reminded of this a few weeks ago. Uh, my, we took our kids to Universal Studios. They had been there several times. And uh, we have twin boys that are 12. And one of my twin boys, Nicholas, was fixated on getting this specific toy. It was a toy that he had seen earlier in the carnival section of Universal Studios, where you can like play these things and win these toys. Um, the one that he wanted to win was the hardest one. It was a stuffed animal, and it was the hardest one to win. So he was thinking about this before we left for Universal, days before, when we were driving there. Before we got to the carnival section, he, there was nothing he could talk about. He just kept, kept asking, kept asking. So when we got there, I, I went with just him, just me and him went and looked at all these booths. And, you know, we looked at the, the shooting the rifles to, to move the horses, the ring toss, basketball toss, um, the tower of cans. And we, I kind of went through the strategies for every one. And it kind of became clear to him that it was going to be really hard for him to win this, this thing. Because the, the deck was stacked against you, you know, like they don't want you to win this, this prize. And he had to spend 10 to $15 every time he tried. So he started doing the math in his head, and he, was, he knew he didn't have that much money. So what he ended up doing was he got his mom's phone and looked it up on eBay, and he bought it there. So he ended up saving himself a lot of money uh, doing that. But in the same way, what, he's, what, what Nicholas was doing was he was going to go down every avenue to get that, that thing, even when the door shut, even when he knew the game was rigged, he kept going after it, and he finally did get get what he was looking for. And in the same way, when we face difficulties, we are supposed to just be relentless, keep trying, keep seeking, keep going. And then the last thing Jesus tells us to do is to knock. And the way this this word was in the original language, it's it's keep on knocking, continuously knocking, kind of that, that perseverance, that persistence that we saw earlier in the passage. And this is a difficult time because some of us have knocked for a long time and we still haven't gotten answers. We have husbands that need salvation. We have a wife that's sick and severing. We have a teenager who's wayward um, and on the wrong path. And when we're in these situations, when we're knocking, sometimes the devil will whisper in our ear and tell us to stop knocking, um, that nobody's listening, just stop knocking. Uh, Prayer became very real to us about 18 months ago. Our older daughter, Allie, Who's a, she was a, a sophomore at this time, she started experiencing a lot of neurological issues. Uh, she started passing out almost every day. She'd pass out for about three months. And then she started having seizures, and ultimately she had a two-week stay in the hospital uh, last Christmas. And at her lowest point, she couldn't walk. She couldn't remember her siblings. She couldn't swallow. Um, it sent us into a serious period of asking, seeking, and knocking. We'd never really experienced anything like this, um, and we were asking. I mean, we would ask everyone, not, not only us praying, but friends from work were praying, church, family, people we didn't know 
were praying for her. And we were also seeking, like we were, we were seeking, we went to neurologists, we went to cardiologists, we went to endocrinologists, um, you name it, we went to everyone you could, you could think of. Um, when, she, when she started experiencing this, we were with Kaiser, and so we, ex, we kind of uh, exhausted the Kaiser uh, area, and then we were able to switch insurances, so we got into Loma Linda, which is closer to where we live in Redlands, um, and that's where she was hospitalized. Uh, after she got out of the hospital, we went to Children's Hospital LA. We kept, kept looking and seeking. It was like we had fallen down that mountain, down that snowy chute, and, and we just didn't, can't imagine getting back to the top. Um, but we kept persistently asking, seeking, and knocking. And I think one of the things we learned in this time is, is this idea of daily prayer, of daily persistence, of daily provisions. That, that Jesus provides us. Um, when we look at the, the week or the month in the hardest times, we don't know how we survived it, but we know we, we had enough for each day. Each day that we had, God provided just enough for us to get through that. And it was around March, it was around this time last year, and we still didn't have any answers. And a friend of ours sent us a documentary that had similar symptoms um, to what Ali was having. And we saw in the documentary, everybody was going to the Mayo Clinic. So we looked up the Mayo Clinic and literally just went on their website and entered, filled out a form. The next day, they called us back and within three weeks, she was seen there. We went up to Rochester and spent a week. And um, through the grace of God, they identified what, what she had and great, it gave us a, a great diagnosis that we had confidence in. Um, what they diagnosed her with was a thing called POTS. You may have heard of it. It's called posterior orthostatic tichondria syndrome, and it affects your heart rate, but it does a lot of weird neurological things with people that they still don't quite understand. Um, and she's slowly recovered, and, and uh, she was actually able to go back to school this year. And uh, really, you wouldn't know that she has a problem. As long as she's taking her medicine and doing the certain things that she needs to, she's, she's doing well. Um, but I think it's, it illustrated for us just the ups and downs in life. We know that good times are going to be here, bad times are going to be here. But, and it, it's hard, the hardest part for us was living in the middle of that crisis when you can't get answers to your question. It's hard to live in that in-between space between the problem and the answer. You don't know if you're going to keep falling down that mountain or if your daughter will get up, will ever be able to walk again. Um, but what we have to remember in those times is that the God that we serve is not hard of hearing. He's not too old, he's not too feeble, but sometimes in his wisdom and in his providence and his love and his grace, he leaves us at the door standing and knocking. You don't really know why uh, God leaves us there knocking. I've, I've thought about this a lot, um, especially when I was going through it. I think sometimes God's teaching us to appreciate the answer that he's going to give us more. I think sometimes he's changing our prayer so that our heart lines up with his. Sometimes I think he's teaching us to obey him and to trust him. But what I do know is every time he's teaching us to hold his hand and to walk through this, this time with him, through life with him. And he makes us a promise that if, he, if we ask, if we seek, if we knock, it will be given, it will be found, and it will be open. So when we look at this passage, kind of in summary, the, Jesus at, the disciples asked Jesus a simple question. He said, how do we pray? And instead of just giving them 
the prayer. He gives us a lot more. He gives us this prayer, he gives us this parable, and he gives us this promise. He tells us what to pray for, how to pray for, and to pray with confidence. The Lord's Prayer, when he tells us to pray, he's telling us to pray for our current needs. Every day, pray for your current needs. Pray for forgiveness from the past so that the past doesn't hold you back to moving forward. And as you're moving forward, ask God to go ahead of you in that and deliver you from the temptations that you're facing. The parable tells us to be relentless, to be persistent. He tells us to keep trying no matter what. And this promise tells us to pray with, convinced, with confidence, convinced that he is going to provide us an answer. We should expect an answer. As we close the service, I'm, I was reminded of a, a story from 150 years ago about some college students that were visiting London, and they wanted to hear the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon uh, preach. And so they were standing at the door before the service. The, the, the church was called the Metropolitan Tabernacle. It's a famous church. So these students were waiting, and they were greeted by somebody that said, um, would you like me to show you around? And, and they were like, sure. He asked them a strange question. He said, would you like to see the heating plant of this church? And it was a hot day, and they weren't really interested in seeing a heating plant. But they didn't want to offend him, so they, were like, they, they said, sure. So the, they, the guy led these young men down a stairwell, opened a door, and he said, this is our heating plant. And what the students saw was 700 people bowed. They were seeking blessings for the service that was about to begin above them. Uh, he closed the door and he said, this is our heating plant. And then he introduced himself as Charles Spurgeon. And what Charles Spurgeon understood was that prayer is a source of power. Prayer is something that can lead to amazing things if we pray. There was a reason that Christ spent so much time praying. There was a reason that he was, could be found in prayer at critical times. Prayer is our source of strength. Prayer is our face to, place to find bread. Prayer is the place where we can learn to walk closer with our Lord. And I, uh, I just commend to you prayer and trying to make it uh, more a part of your life as you go forward. And as we close the service, I also, if you don't know Jesus, I just um, invite you to, uh, to know him. If you don't know him, please come talk to me, talk to somebody in this church, and we'll walk you through the plan of salvation, how you can receive um, forgiveness from your sins and enter into a relationship with, with you, with him. Um, but if you are a Christian... I just ask you to remember the gift that we have to be able to communicate with the creator of the world who's walked the path that we've been on. He's walked the hardship that we've been through. And he tells us to keep asking, to keep seeking, and to keep knocking. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day and for this time. And we thank you for your word. We thank you that your, your word is relevant to us just as relevant to us as it was to the disciples so many years ago, um, that you still care for us. You still want us to pray for you, pray to you, and to provide forgiveness and uh, deliverance from what we face in the world, that you want to provide just enough for the day that we go through. And we just lift this up to you. We pray for our, we, we pray for our prayer lives. We pray that you'll strengthen us. We pray that you'll give us the desire to do it and to seek out your kingdom in ways. And we just thank you for this, and we thank you for this day. That's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.